Hello, and welcome to the Anthropus Serena Reviewed, the not a podcast where we review facets of a Serena-centered planet on a five-star scale. I'm decidedly not John Green, and today I'll be reviewing Sea Goats and Subway for Emma Elizabeth Marshall on October 1st, 2022. Now known as one of the 12 zodiac signs in astrology, sea goats are a hybrid mythical creature found across Jewish, Greek, and Roman mythology and oral traditions. The sea goat is one of the many hybrid beasts in mythology. The others, it seems, get all the limelight. Centaurs, winged hippocamps, pegasuses, and of course, the flashy unicorn. But the sea goat, aside from being known as Capricorn in astrology, rarely gets any airtime. According to the Jewish oral tradition, a sailor encountered a sea goat while far off at sea. In this world, all creatures of the sea were expected to one day offer themselves to the monster Leviathan. On the sea goat's horns was carved, I am a little sea animal, yet I traversed 300 parasangs to offer myself as food to the Leviathan. A parasang was an Iranian unit of walking distance the length of which varied according to terrain and speed of travel. The odds Emma already knew this fact are high, but it's worth noting. This little creature, singularly minded, served its purpose at whatever cost to self. Holding a lot of emotional baggage right from the start. A weighty existence. Worthy of more note in our current oral traditions, if you ask me. The concept of a seagoat highlights the utility of hybridization. I used to think that holding two things at once was an expression of half-assery. Splitting effort between two things only allows for 50% effort max on each end. But then, we learn in our current accepted mythology, the Christian tradition, that Jesus was not just man, but also God. Not half and half, both and. Of course, this calls to mind that the great prophetess, Taylor Allison Swift, once famously said, Both of these things can be true. I'm sure sphinxes, mermaids, and satyrs would agree with her. In classic hybrid beast fashion, there's a duality of origin stories for the seagoat. The Greek interpretation of the seagoat comes from the introduction of the Babylonian zodiac to Greek culture. In an attempt to codify the constellation Capricorn within the Greek pantheon, two myths were used as an explanation. One being that the constellation is actually Amalthea, the goat who raised Zeus. As thanks for caring for him as a child, Zeus placed her amongst the stars. The other being that the sea goat is the wilderness god Pan. The myth goes that Zeus jumped into a river to escape the monster Typhon. Zeus tries to turn himself into a fish while jumping into the river, but he moves too quickly and only his lower half becomes that of a fish. Zeus then engages in combat with the monster. Zeus defeats him, but not without Typhon pulling muscles out of Zeus's legs. With the help of Hermes, Pan replaces the damaged muscles. As a reward for healing him, Zeus placed Pan in the sky as Capricorn. Personally, I'm partial to the latter origin story. It reminds me of Jacob wrestling the angel at Peniel. A terrifying being appears when our hero is on the threshold of crossing a river. Hero, even, used loosely in both stories where the protagonist is, arguably, a trickster dick with a wandering eye. And come on, how many wrestling stories end with a dislocated leg muscle? In fact, 
I wouldn't be surprised if these stories are more intertwined than most realize. But origin stories don't work that way. It's a both and situation. I'm still uncomfortable with this way of weighing. Each hand can only hold so much. In our history, across our great divide, we've been given the gift of hybrids like the sea goat, which teach us that having both and can give us a whole greater than the sum of its parts. I give sea goats four stars. The subway story began in 1965 when 17-year-old Fred DeLuca asked his family friend, Dr. Peter Buck, a nuclear physicist, for advice on how to pay his college tuition. With an idea to open a submarine sandwich shop and an initial $1,000 investment from Dr. Buck, the two formed a business partnership that would ultimately change the landscape of the quick service restaurant industry, as Subway proclaims. The partners opened their first restaurant in Bridgeport, Connecticut in August of 1965, where they served freshly made, customizable, and affordable sandwiches to local guests. By 1974, Fred and Dr. Buck owned and operated 16 submarine sandwich shops throughout Connecticut. But to take the brand even further and reach their 32 restaurant goal in time, the pair decided to begin franchising a business model that launched the Subway brand into a period of incredible growth and popularity. There's no talking about Subway without at least a mention of the smell. You know, the aroma that wafts about half a block in either direction from a Subway storefront. The distinctive Subway smell is a hallmark of the franchise, but it's famously hard to put a finger on. Journalist Joel Burroughs dug into the reason behind the scent and determined that the Subway smell is, as he puts it, Quote, a complex medley of two methylbutanols, three methylbutanols, and benzaldehydes, with some notes of acetic and butanoic acid. Okay, sure. In the end, he found that these aromas stem from their distinctive bread and cookies baking simultaneously. A classic both and. Subway, the sandwich shop, notably uses verbiage that applies to the transit system ubiquitously throughout its brand story, using phrases like fueling up, start your engines, and moving forward. The connection is less forced in the setting that both create for its clientele. Both the sandwich brand and the transit system are liminal spaces, a period of time to listen to a podcast while you're transported between home and the office, some mayo-enthroned fuel between a depression nap and class, A destination for a cheap dinner on Wednesdays and every other weekend with your dad, who now lives in an undecorated apartment in another town. Little more says, maybe I'm not quite sure where I want to be, than Subway Tuna Fish. The thing about liminal spaces is that it's a place where the air is a little heavier, the thinking a little more fragile. Where the veil between this world and the next is a little thinner. You're no longer where you were. You're not yet where you want to go, but you're here. Subway, both the franchise and the public transit system, accept you as you are. Subway welcomes the tattered and torn, the depressed and the manic, the tired, the poor, the huddled masses yearning to reach the free cookie reward on their Subway punch card. Give Subway the wretched refuse of a teeming, meticulously color-coded agenda planner. 
Subway welcomes the homeless, metaphorically and literally, and the tempest-tossed. It lifts its neon open sign lamp beside the golden foot-long loaf. Subway, in its own methylbutanoic way, reminds us that we are all at once every age we've ever been. Someone tells 12-year-old Serena that one day, between bites of a BMT, she'll remember how she used to wish about all the things she is and has now. Someone tell 16-year-old Emma that she's a decade away from finding, effectively, her own two Italian herb loaves, who won't even care that she wants black olives on her sub. In fact, they'll love that about her. That, and basically everything else. I give Subway four and a half stars.